Well, good morning, y'all, and happy Lord's Day. Thank you. Guys, uh, yesterday I was sitting there, and I was trying to think when the last time I came to a 1030 Mass. <laughs> Seven weeks. Isn't that sick? <laughs> I was like, man, it's been July 4th was the last time I had a 1030 Mass. I was like, Lord, I need to go to confession. Um, so, but those seven weeks have been crazy, man. All kinds of things have happened. I've been all over the place. I went on vacation. I caught COVID. Um, and then I was quarantined. And then I went on retreat with our seminarians. And then Father Patrick had all the masses on one weekend. And then poof, here I am. And school started, right? So guys, it is really good, can I tell you, to see your face. It's great to be here with y'all. Guys, um, today's gospel reading and our second reading are magnificent. And I would love to be able to preach a whole lot on both of those, but it would take forever. Um, so I just want to throw a question out to you, which is proposed to us in, this first, in the gospel that we have today. Have you ever been through something in life that was hard? Something hard, like extremely hard. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what your week has been like or what this past year has been like. But maybe you've had to move away for the first time, and that was a hard thing to do, leaving mom and dad's house. Maybe you had to let go of one of your kids, and they flew the cuckoo's nest, and they're off doing their own thing. And that was a hard thing to do, to let go of that firstborn, right? Maybe an illness struck. You know, maybe you lost your job. Maybe things got difficult. We go through things that are always hard. I know if somebody would have showed me what my first year of priesthood would have looked like, <laughs> that was hard year. I probably wouldn't have become a priest, <laughs> Right? That was a tough year. And, you know, the gospel reading talks today about something that is hard. And it starts with that quote, with that saying. Jesus' disciples were listening to him, and they said, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? What are they talking about? Well, if you back up in John chapter 6, for the past five weeks, Jesus has been revealing to us what we call the Eucharistic Discourse. The longest teaching of Jesus is given right here in John 6, and it is a hard teaching to accept. If we back up just a little bit, just to give you a, a broad stroke of what Jesus was saying to the Jews, and he's speaking this to his disciples, people that were following him along the way. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. Imagine they're going, well, what is he talking about here? Living bread, and this bread is his flesh. What is he talking about? And then he pushes in, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Listen, guys. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. <laughs> this saying is hard. Who can accept it? Right? This is what the disciples of Jesus were struggling with. And this has been the teaching of the, of the church from the beginning, from the moment Jesus was at the Last Supper, and he says, this is my body, this is my blood over the bread and the wine, it becomes that which he spoke it to be. 
This is my flesh for the life of the world. Right? This is an incredibly intense teaching, and the disciples found it hard to believe. And so Jesus looks at them. He hears them murmuring amongst themselves, and he looks at them and he says, Does this offend you? Do you take offense at what I'm saying? You see, guys, here's something we've got to learn about Jesus. He will comfort those who are sorrowful, but he will also make those who are comfortable uncomfortable. He's not afraid to offend people because of the sake of truth and the sake of their salvation. And so he looks at him and says, does it offend you? Does this, do you take the offense of this teaching? And he doesn't give up. He leans in even deeper and begins to speak even more profound truths to them. And at the end of this teaching, in John 6, chap chapter 6, verse 66, John 6, 66, what happens? It says, after the disciples heard this, they withdrew and they no longer accompanied Jesus. These were the disciples, not the twelve, but these were the followers of Jesus. These were people that may have had their ordinary work and all those kind of things they had to go home and do. But these were the people that any chance they got, they were listening to Jesus. They were hearing his stories. They were witnessing miracles. It may have even been people that experienced miracles in their lives. But they were following Jesus. These were the ones who in some way, shape, or form thought he was a great teacher. They thought he was a healer. He was a wonder worker. But maybe, just maybe, they didn't believe he was Messiah. Why do I say that? Because if they believed who he was, they would have said, Lord, I don't understand what you're saying, but I believe that it can happen because you are the one who said it, and you're the living word that came down from heaven. And because you said it, it comes into being. Because you're God. So I don't understand it, but I believe. But because the scripture says they looked at him, they said, this is hard. Who can believe it? They turn around and they walk away and they leave and they no longer accompany Jesus. And listen what happens. Jesus, this is how we know he's speaking, not figuratively, but literally. Jesus doesn't look at those who are leaving. And, and begin to chase after them and say, wait, wait, hold on, guys, just a second. I was just speaking metaphorically. It was just symbolic speaking. I wasn't really serious about that. Please don't leave. I want, I want to have friends. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't go chasing after them whenever he lays the fullness of the truth of his body and blood in the Holy Eucharist. He doesn't chase after them to try to correct their misunderstanding. Matter of fact, he does the opposite. Look what he does. In verse 67, they're walking away. And Jesus then turns to the 12 apostles, the ones who walked with him most intimately. And he says to them, will you leave me too? You see, we've got to understand this about Jesus. His love is free. His love is not going to be a burden on us. His love is not going to hold us bound and shackle us. His love is a free gift. And he says to them, guys, in all honesty, you're free to go. Because I'm not going to change my teaching 
just because you disagree with what I'm saying. We have the freedom to leave, and we have the freedom to stay. That's the beautiful gift of God's will, right? And so we see Jesus' heart immovable in this teaching, willing to risk everything that he was sent here from the Father to do, to give us his body and his blood in the Holy Eucharist. He's willing to put everything on the line because of it. That's incredible. And so he looks at him. Will you leave too? Go ahead. It's okay. And Simon Peter, I love this. Simon Peter, listen to these words, y'all. He steps up and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love that about St. Peter. You see, Simon Peter isn't the sharpest tool in the shed. Simon Peter is the guy who says, Lord, I don't understand what you just now said. I don't understand how we're going to be able to eat your flesh and drink your blood. I don't get it. And quite frankly, it's really difficult and it's really hard to wrap my little fisherman mind around that. But Lord, I don't know how that's going to all happen. But I know who you are. And I believe who you are. I believe who you say you are. And I've experienced your power and your wonder in so many ways. So while I don't understand and while it is hard, I'm not walking away because I know who you are. You see, guys, whenever life presents things to us that's hard, we have two choices. We either do like some of the disciples did in the gospel today and we walk away and we leave Christ and we try to do it on our own. Or the second choice is we say, Lord, I don't understand what I'm going through and why I'm going through it. And I don't understand how you're going to make something good out of all of this. And it's hard. But I ain't going nowhere. I believe who you are. And I believe that you are going to see me through these times because of who you are. So that's what we see in the early church as Jesus speaks about his Eucharist. Right? And guys, things get hard. And I don't know, I've never been married, so I can't say that marriage is hard, but I do hear your confessions. <laughs> right? And I do, I do talk to you quite often. <laughs> Would you agree that marriage is hard? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, marriage is difficult. Paul even says it. Paul even realizes the difficulty of marriage. But Paul, it doesn't stop Paul from holding up the ideal of marriage. In our first and our second reading today from Ephesians, chapter 5, man, Paul holds up the ideal. And granted, it is almost a nearly imperfect, challenging way to live out marriage. It's tough. My dad always told me, he said, son, what are your goals? you got to have goals. Because if you don't have goals, you're not going to be able to strive and become a better man. We all have goals that we have to set before us so that we can reach for them, right? So Paul is sitting here and he's laying out for us the ideal, the goal of what marriage is. And it is hard. Listen what he says, guys. He first says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. <laughs> oh, help. What are you 
putting this up to my husband. What a bell chauvinistic thing to say. What are we talking about? Well, I love looking at words. What's the word submissive? Well, if you look at the word submarine, sub means underneath, marine, the waters, right? Submission means sub, underneath, the mission of your husband. That's what that word means. Wives, be underneath the mission of your husband. That's what he's saying. Is that such a hard thing to swallow? I hope not. Why? Because he then lays out for the man what your mission is. Check it out. In, in verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so he might sanctify her. Brothers, that is a hard mission. Husbands, love your wives. How? Like that. Just like that. That's hard. And wives, if your husband isn't loving you like that, then grab a nail and put him back on. Right? Because that's where he belongs. And a man's heart is never going to be satisfied in marriage or in the priesthood until it loves like that. You see, that's once you're married, you're now oriented towards that kind of love. And any other love that we display to our spouse is not a love that will satisfy us. Why? Because we're now oriented in a different direction. We're oriented to love our wives the way Christ loves the church, who laid down his life for her. Why? So that you can become holy. Wives, your holiness is found precisely in the way your husband loves you. Isn't that magnificent? That's how God set it up. And that kind of love points us directly to the Eucharist. Why? Because in the Eucharist we say those wonderful words, this is my body given up for you, don't we? That's what the priest says. And that those words, that piece of bread becomes something it was not before, which it becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. And when a husband and wife exchange vows in that sanctuary, on that holy day that you became husband and wife, something happened that never happened to you before. St. Paul says in Ephesians 5, in that moment, the two become one flesh. That's a miracle. The two become one flesh. And from that moment on, from the night of their consummation, of their marriage, the husband and wife say to one another, this is my body given up for you. And the night of the day that you give birth to that first child of yours, the wife, the mother says, this is my body given up for you, that little baby. And then for the rest of your life, parents, you can speak to it better than I can. Isn't that how you live your life? When the baby is crying at all hours of the night, when things are difficult, when things get hard, you say, basically, this is my body given up for you. I'm not going to live it for me. I'm going to live it for you. In a sacrificial manner. That's the beauty of marriage. And that's why marriage points forward to the Eucharist. We see in marriage, in that beautiful exchange of vows, I will be with you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. This immovability of marriage that we see can point directly to Jesus in the Eucharist. It's Jesus who says, you know what, whenever you're sick, I'm going to be with you. In good times and in bad, I'm going to be your rock and your salvation. In sickness and in health, I will be your healer and your comforter. And guess what, guys? Death, Jesus says, will not separate us. Death no longer has victory over us. Whenever Jesus comes to us, it is Him who receives us and says, Death unites me to you for all of eternity. 
That's what happens. And it's foreshadowed right here in the Eucharist. Right? It's where the bridegroom, Christ, gives his body for his bride. That's why you walk up the aisle like a bride walking up to be received by her bridegroom. And we don't just pass a basket around and you take a, a host. You walk up as bride to receive the bridegroom's body. So this is the great gift that we have, guys. And this is the great witness of what I see in so many of y'all. As I walk with you in your lives, in your marriages, it's a beautiful, beautiful witness to me to see so many husbands and wives maybe falling short of what Paul gives to us, but you're striving for it. I fall short of that too, but I strive. And so what a beautiful witness y'all are. This Eucharistic image to the world of what it means for a husband to love his wife and a wife to be under the mission of her husband. And in that is life. In that is life. So wherever we're at today, if we're finding ourselves in spots that are hard, the difficult moments to be in right now, realize we've got two choices. We either turn away and we walk away from the Lord who is the one who will be our strength and our rock and our refuge. Or we say, Lord, to whom shall I go? I don't get it. I don't understand it. This is hard. But I'm not going nowhere. I'm staying right here. And if you need to go sit in the chapel for a while, you go sit with Jesus. You need to come to Mass. You come receive Him. You come. But those are our two choices. So wherever you find yourself, we have to realize where do we want to stand. Do we stand with those who walk away? Or do we put our heels in? We dig deep. We say, Lord, I'm not going nowhere. You have the words of eternal life. Amen.